Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to the 11th episode of The Coaching Staff. And as always, my main man, Mr. Tony D. Viss, is on the other line. Mr. Viss, how are things in the eastern side of Iowa this fine Sunday evening? They are, they are well. Uh, we're projected for 70s pretty much all week for the temperature. I don't know if it gets much better than that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're about two weeks away from starting practice, so life is good. Life is good. If you were practicing right now, you could go out to the playground. You could go out to the asphalt jungle of, of Cedar Rapids and play out there. That would be quite the story. Uh, you know, we started the first week of practice outside because it was so warm. Yeah, that'd be... Oh, you must live in Florida. No, no, no. Iowa, the tropical paradise of <laughs> Iowa. So yeah, um, yeah, North we kind of Florida. Got, oh, no, no Florida. Yeah, um, yeah, we got kind of got the same thing going here. Uh, you know, beautiful weather. Um, you know, and it gives us good options for conditioning the next couple of weeks. And you know, it's closing quick for us. I know some coaches have already started, uh, but this week's topic is planning. Your practices, planning your season out, planning your preseason practices uh, leading up to your first game, uh, which is something I think is really, really important to do. And uh, Tony and I are going to talk about uh, this tonight. So uh, I'll go ahead and get started here, Tony, if that's all right with you. Um, yeah, fine by me. Yeah, uh, it, it's something that I've talked about a lot, uh, especially recently. I, I put a uh, post up on uh, the Twitter handle for uh, a daily post. Uh, last week, and it's it's my calendar on on my desk. It's a hand drawn calendar. It's it's all right in front of me, and it takes me I don't know fifteen twenty minutes to to draw it out and put it all together. Uh, but that's my calendar for implementation, and you know it allows me to look at the season all right in front of me. Uh, every single practice, every single game, every single day. Uh, gave myself a little bit of room to make some notes there. And have started that process of, of taking what's in my head and putting it down on paper. I've got, you know, roughly the first week done. Now i got to start uh, cranking away on the second week. But uh, I think it's just for me, again, in the way my brain works, is to have that whole thing in front of you, not even on a flip thing or a, a couple of pieces of paper uh, that you have in a planner or whatever it may be, uh, but but have that there. And, and then you can look at it and you go, okay, you know, we've got West High on January 15th, and I know we're going to see 1-3-1 against them. So we're going to start, without the players knowing it, we're going to start working on some attacking a 1-3-1 around January 5th instead of sitting there going, oh, shoot, you know, it's January 13th. we got West High in two nights. We know we're going to see a bunch of 1-3-1. Let's kind of scramble and try to implement now. And, and for me, that works really, really well, for better or worse. And... I think it's just a great exercise for you to do. So you're thinking not just about the first day or the first week, but you're seeing the season in scope in front of you so that you can plan to the best of your ability. And there's stuff that happens. There's injuries, there's illness, uh, there's players that overperform or underperform, whatever it may be. There's going to be stuff that happens. But at least if you overplan when something does happen, and it inevitably will, you have a course of action that you have to adjust rather than reinvent. So I wanted to start with that tonight, Tony. No, I thought that was really smart. I saw that, that Twitter post that you put out there, that working backwards, you know, starting wherever that February and, and work your way back to November. I thought that was really smart. Um, you know, I, I do it a, 
pretty similar to that. I don't necessarily go all the way to February when I start. Uh-huh. I end up, I take a look at our first date, like, hey, um, you know, and, and to be honest, we will throw some scrimmages and we have, you know, I think I showed with that pride scrimmage thing where yep. it counts as a scrimmage when you actually play a game, but, you know, it doesn't count on your record type thing. But I'll go to my first game and I'll work my way back from there. What do I need to have in? And so I'll think through, you know, some of the sets and stuff that I want in, try to get that in the first two weeks fine-tune some things over those next several weeks because you're basically going to play about three weeks worth of games before you go into Christmas break. And then I have in my mind some new wrinkles I want to put in over Christmas break. And then, you know, you kind of ride January out with that. And then as you get into February, I start to plan those last few things. And then, you know, John and I have sat down and, uh, you know, he's big into switch everything defense. But what happens with us that first little bit of things is we play what we call our five defense where we don't switch anything. Mm-hmm. Screen is no excuse. We hard hedge it. We do whatever. Uh, but for the first few weeks, and we feel like if we can get to where, you know, we can we can get through everything screen-wise, then when we get ready to play zero, which is our switch everything, it becomes that much easier. It just keeps teams, teams off balance. And we got a little full-court press that we do out of that, too. Um, but those are kind of the things, the big picture things I have in mind, you know, as as we progress through the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that's, you know, the, the biggest thing when you do that, I think, Tony, is once the games start, you're going to be scrambling a bit anyway. Uh, that's why I only plan the practices to the first game, because after mm-hmm. that, then you then, you know, it's it's no longer theory. It's it's actuality. And. So when you when you do that, the the biggest thing you can control the the section of the season that I believe you have the most that you can control when it comes to your team is those two and a half or three weeks before the first game, and so yes. I think it's I think it's so important to have that structure in place and to have that plan in place so that you can, like I said, you you can get to to where you want to go and have that well thought out. Okay. We'd like to have four out of bounds plays in by the time we get to the first game. Okay, mm-hmm. when are we going to have these, and when do we need to start implementing them? Which ones are the easiest to implement? You know, so which ones are the most difficult? Maybe we implement them first so we get the most reps on those type of a deal. Um, now, now, Marty, with with your four out of bounds plays, are you doing underneath only? Is there any side? And are you, are you talking two man, yeah. two zone? Um, we can run in, in theory. We should be able to run our baseline out of bounds plays against man or zone. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's the theory. Uh, it, uh, on the side, we'll probably get a couple of simple sideline out of bounds plays in, uh, a basic one, and then a counter that we'll run that we can uh, do some things out of, and then we'll build off of that. Eventually, uh, you know, we should hit the ground running. I really believe in year three this year. So when it comes to like baseline out of bounds plays, those four plays should be implemented pretty seamlessly in those first couple of weeks, two or three weeks, which now gives us the opportunity again in year three that, you know, I don't want 15 out of bounds plays underneath, but now instead of just having four or five by the end of the year, now we have six or seven. And that Mm -hmm. may not seem like a big deal, but it's just one or two more options that you can throw at your opponent to uh to, to try and get an easy basket and and win that that game on the margins like we have to because we're not overly town, talented so we have to win on the margins 
Now, with your out-of-bounds plays, are you calling them, signaling them, or are you basing it off of the clock? Um, I'm calling them, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I usually call down to the other coach at the other end, hey, we're running number one, just in case you're ready for it. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. We really don't do that. Uh, but, no, I, I call them. Um, I've, I've had my assistant coaches do it in the past. Um, when I, when I felt like they were ready to, to take that responsibility, uh, hopefully in the next year or so, as my assistants are with me a little bit longer, uh, that's something that I can hand off to them in a, uh, skill building situation for them. So, Mm uh, but that's something that I've given responsibility to, to my assistant coaches in the past before. So. You know, the, the interesting thing on that out of bounds thing, I talked to a guy a handful of years ago. Um, he would he would have it based on the clock. Like he would just yell out their man or their zone, and then the guys would have a responsibility to look up at the clock. Hmm. So if it was an odd number, they ran this odd out-of-bounds play against man. If it was an even number, they ran this even number out-of-bounds play against man. And if it was zero, they had a, a play in for that. And then he had some other call. He told me that, you know, say they just scored off of one, and he wanted to run that one again, but the clock didn't work out, so it was that play. He had a call where he could overrule it and then signal it in from the bench. And then uh, last year we were watching a team, and uh, they were doing it based off of the positioning of the player's feet. If the right foot was forward, if the left yeah, foot was forward, I've seen that and if the feet were even. Yeah, I've seen and I thought before. those were, were genius. Yeah, I've seen that before. Um, I'm not smart enough to remember all that, Tony. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that's why we only have one, two, and three. Uh, so, uh, so, but, uh, I, I, no, I, I've, I've seen the feet thing done before. Uh, so, you know, we, th- that's the route we've gone. Uh, you know, again, as we grow as a program, those are little things that maybe we can do as we move forward. But I, 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 I totally understand uh, the the concept of it as well. So now, do you run it out of the same set? Yeah. So, for example, is it a box just, every time or a four flat? It's the same set, just different action each time. Yeah, same formation every time. Mm-hmm. Same formation every time. So, um, let's let's jump back in here on the 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 planning the season thing here. Uh, here's another thing I had written down. As you write all this out, Tony, and and this might sound backwards, but I think it makes sense. So you put all this stuff. So let's say you do what I did, and you put everything out on these couple of sheets of paper, and it's all lined up and in front of you. Uh, one thing I figured out by doing this is you put that all on there, and then you have to anticipate that anywhere from 30 to 50% of what you've put in there won't end up going in. Uh, yeah. You know, because you just... You got to fix other things. You got to fix your rebounding. You got to fix your passing. Uh, you have to adjust because, again, overachievement, underachievement, performance, illness, whatever, injury. Um, so, but again, if you're planning on putting in eight out of bounds plays and you've got a plan out there for eight out of bounds plays, at least you know you have those eight. And maybe you get in five as, as an example that we've been talking about. So, I think that uh, as you put all that in, you know, and this year we want to, for us, for example, we want to extend our pressure a lot more and do some more, uh, do some different things in diversifying our pressure schemes. You know, in theory, by the end of the year, I'd like to have about four different presses in. But in actuality, if we can get two or three of those down pretty well, uh, that's probably going to be a good thing. But we have a plan just in case we are ready to put that third and fourth press in and we have it planned out. Yeah. You know, and, and another thing I guess I would ask you early too, 
when you were doing your first, you know, week or two of practices, are you focused more so on offense or defense? Are you 50-50 on it? Um, we have, I've, I've really shifted Tony to being more offensive minded in practice just because it sucks losing when you can't make a shot, (laughs) you know, uh, if if we're going to lose, let's go down having some fun and, and knocking down some shots and, and doing that. Now, not to say that we don't emphasize defense. Uh, we have a minimum of five and hopefully 10 minutes a day on closeouts in practice every day. Uh, we are working some sort of shell drill for 10 to 15 minutes every day. We're trying to Mm -hmm. implement a lot just, you know, a lot of different things. But as I've grown as a coach, uh, I was probably early in my career, I was probably 60, 40 defense to offense. And I'll be honest with you, probably if you broke it down, I'd probably be more 70, 30 offense now. Um, And we just keep it really simple. Uh, we keep our scheme simple, but what we do, it's what we're going to do. We're very consistent with it. We've been consistent with it for two years. Uh, we're going to do the same thing again this year, and we just have to keep doing it better. We just have to do it better with what we're doing, especially for us on the rebounding end of things. we got to rebound better this year, and that's going to be a big emphasis for us. Uh, so that's my thought on that. How about you? Um, you know, it's one of those things where I would say, I probably slightly go more toward offense. Um, you know, the game has changed a lot. And, you know, it's just in terms of, you know, I used to buy into that whole defense wins championships. And don't get me wrong, I think defense is, is super, super important. But as the game has, con- you know, continued to go more modern and develop and stuff like that, I just, I think offense wins it now. I think defense determines by how much. I think offense wins the games more and so now. And so, you know, like you were talking, I'm probably not 70, 30. It's probably maybe 55, 60 uh, percent on offense. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we, we put more of an emphasis on offense early on just because you, you go into it and you, our, our guys have done a fantastic job of being in the gym. But it just takes longer to get the offense flowing and get them, you know, some symmetry and get them together and get that continuity and chemistry. And so I feel like you have to put a little bit more emphasis that way. I agree. I agree, Tony. And ultimately, you're going to need offensive players to make offensive plays. And I think that if you're, again, the word we use on a pen and a napkin, if you're experienced like you and I, uh, you can implement your defensive philosophy and round that into shape faster than you can the offensive stuff. Because there's just so many more uh, working, uh, there, there's so many more variables in a good offensive execution and finishing on offense. I mean, screening, passing, uh, ball handling, shooting, spacing, all these timing, timing, yeah. timing of things. And so I think that's where your reps need to go, uh, because it, eventually, if you're going to if you're going to want to achieve at a high level, especially with the way the game is played and and, and officiated today, you know, you're you got to be able to put the ball in the basket on a consistent basis. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library.
Um, yeah. Yeah, and let me ask you this question along those same lines because you're talking, you're focused more on offense. Are you doing more of the, you know, two-on-two, three-on-three? Are you teaching a whole method more early on? We kind of go whole part whole uh, uh, still Mm -hmm. on that. Um, You know, we we have our buildup. We have our, our system. We have our seven or eight pet drills that we use to implement our offensive system. And we really like them. I, I, you know, I, I have uh, yet to find anything in the last three years that I like more than what we do right now overall. Now, we've tweaked some things. Like we have a drill called Nova Rips that after going to a couple practices, okay, we're going to tweak this a little bit and we're going to add a couple of things to it. But, it, you know, I, I just I like what we do. And, and uh, it would take something that is really, really innovative for me to change what we do in, in and in some ways because our kids know it now so we can call out nova rips and we can roll through that whole drill in three or four minutes whereas if we introduce something completely new to that now we got to relearn it reteach it uh so forth and so on so uh but we do a lot of the the breakdown of the parts and then you know we kind of do the whole thing with mr miyagi and daniel larusso in the backyard we you know wax on wax off and yep. and paint the fence and actually, uh, this is the second time I've brought this up today. Uh, what I did before our first practice uh, to, to try and gain the players' trust is, and this goes back before I even took over, you know, before my first practice period when I took over for the job, we watched the, we went on YouTube and we played those clips of Daniel you know, wax on, wax off and, and sand the floor and paint the fence. And then culminating with the scene where, uh, he puts it all together with Mr. Miyagi in the backyard. And I said, girls, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's, we're going to do. We're going to keep breaking this down and keep breaking this down and keep breaking this down. But at some point you're going to see how all of this is going to fit together. If you do this piece by piece by piece. And I think that helped them with the buy-in of what we were trying to do. Uh, because it was a visual thing that they could understand. And by the way, it was the original Karate Kid, not the remake of the Karate Kid. We go old school here on a pen and a napkin. We stay in the <laughs> 80s because that is the greatest decade ever. So, It is a classic. Have you watched any of the Cobra Kai? I have not. I need to. It's, it's on do. the list of numerous things that I need to watch. Uh, we finished up Only Murders in the Building. Have you seen that one, Tony? I haven't seen that one. That's really, really good. I think you and Rita would really like it a lot. Okay. It's really good. So, um, what else on planning out your season, Tony? Um, you know, just as, as going through that, you know, talk a little bit about that, how we teach it type of thing. I'm kind of in the same boat you are. I like to show it whole and then break it into some part and then come back whole again. Um, and I think as we get later in the year, to be honest with you, is probably when I do more of the what you call a small sided game, your two on two, your three on three, four on four. Um, but that just kind of keeps things sharp throughout the season. But I'm like you mentioned, I'm real big into whole part whole. Mm-hmm. And I think those, those are key. Um, the other thing that we, we take a look at too, um, as, as we walk through this, you know, your scrimmage times, um, you know, those, those are key for us when we place them in there, who we go against and different things like that. And then, um, a little bit of stuff over over Christmas break too. 
what are our time and we try to be consistent on our practice time over Christmas break for, you know, cause you got to take the five days off and you've got, you come back and it's almost like you're back in the beginning of the, the season again. So with those first two or three days back after Christmas break, it's almost going back to those first two, three days of practice. It looks very similar to that. And then once we get a little bit down the road, we'll put in some new stuff get a scrimmage in, try out that new stuff to see what it looks like because come January 2, January 3, January 4 in that area, we're back playing again already. Yeah, and and you kind of bring me to one of my next bullet points, Tony. Uh, if you want to implement something, uh, you're not going to be able to put in a play on Thursday and run it Friday night. Uh, yeah. I, I really think, and I got this from uh, Coach Terman out at uh, Scott, my, my good friend Matt Terman. If you're going to implement uh, something new, minimum of a week and preferably two before you run it in a game uh, you know so if you want to put in a new press uh again let's say you're getting ready to play west high on on january 15th well on january 1st january 2nd you probably need to start working on that press some in in practice and and building up to that in the inevitability of we really want to have this ready on January 15th. And again, you're not telling the kids that. You don't have to tell the kids that. That's that's your prerogative. But if you want to put in a set play, uh, a lot of coaches believe, well, we're going to put in this set on Thursday and we're going to have it ready for Friday night. Well, if you can do that on a consistent basis, you're a lot better coach than I am and your players are way smarter than any players I've ever played or ever coached. Uh, it, it takes time to get the timing down, get the execution down, have them get comfortable with it. A uh, minimum of a week and preferably two weeks for, for those things to really go into effect and feel really comfortable with. Now, in our situation where you only have two and a half weeks to practice before the before your first game, you know, I would put in at least two sets uh, this first week just so you have them for your first weekend's worth of games and another set or two uh, early in your second week so that, okay, We've got hopefully out of those four, we feel pretty comfortable running at least two and maybe three of those in our first weekend's worth of games. Yeah, and, and Marty, with your with your youth, are they working on similar stuff that you do at at your level in the high school, or are you just kind of hey, these are our coaches, you guys do what you want. We we're, we're just glad that you're playing, or have they been working on and when they get to you, some of that terminology and and you know. Uh, repetition of stuff that you've done and that makes that transition fairly smooth we are trying to make the transition as smooth as possible so we actually had a big meeting with our youth coaches about a month ago and i and i lined out all the things that i want them to do and if you want to call that micromanaging a little bit uh, you know so be it but i'm in a closed district you know my kids can't opt out uh you know, we can get some opt-in kids, but we don't have that very much. And so my whole thing is if we know who our seven or eight seventh graders are going to be, why not have them using our terminology, our basic out-of-bounds plays, our color, you know, our, our defense, for example, is colors, red, black, yellow, that type of thing. So we're going to start running red with our younger kids. And again, the whole thing is, is if our youth coaches do that job, and here's what I told them, we want them to peak as juniors and seniors. Well, if I have to reteach everything as freshmen with everything that the way I want it done, we're just wasting time. 
uh, in my opinion, when we can control this. It's, you know, now when I was at my old job where I had kids coming in from all over the city uh, because we were a private school, it was a lot more difficult to do that. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted was a, a closed district. I wanted to be in a district where, for better or worse, here's our seven seventh graders and let's roll with them. And starting in X grade, and again, we keep it, you know, in fourth grade, it's pass and cut, pass and cut, pass and mm-hmm. cut, move without the ball, catch and find the rim. We're, we're not putting in the triangle offense with fourth graders or anything like that. We're, we're really not implementing a lot of the specifics with our high school offense until they're in junior high. But at that point, they got to start being able to pick up on those things. But if they get two years of implementing our system at the junior high level, then they hit the ground running. We don't have to reteach a lot of those things when they get to high school. Uh, they're, they're ready to go, and they understand it. And maybe their role changes, but they understand the overall concept a lot more than they did before. I definitely wouldn't call it micromanaging. I think it's it's very intelligent. Uh, you know, Mitch Osborne in Harlan, who I believe you've had on, yep. um, that's, that's what he does. He starts them in third grade, and they're running his stuff all the way through so that as they get to him in high school, it just makes it a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. John McCowan here, uh, you know, a few weeks ago had a clinic that he did, did with all the junior Cougar coaches, and they know our belly series and some of the different, you know, mm-hmm. uh, options and, and quick hitters that we have out of it. And they they do they run our zero defense and stuff. And so, no, I, I just I think it's really smart on your end to do that. Just was wondering a little bit. So as they get to you, it allows you to branch off and, and, and you know, build build much further than what you would have to if you're having to go back and reteach all the time. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we want. Like I said, we've got a smaller district. Uh, I know all my players by name uh, from fifth grade on up, and so we can we can do that. We can do that, and it, it just it's just good for us. It's good for us. Um, so, yeah, so that's what we do, Tony. That's what we do. Um, anything else on planning the season out, Tony? The one thing that's been kind of new for us getting ready for this season this year is we're going with the shot clock this year. Yeah. And so uh, we were talking a little bit, uh, John and I, the other day. Um, he had met with the varsity staff. I wasn't able to, to make it. And so he and I just kind of met and talked real quick. And you know, he was talking about how he had read a study in the NBA about two-for-ones. Mm-hmm. And the teams that are usually really good at two-for-ones make the playoffs. The teams that aren't really good at two-for-ones – don't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And so we were got to chatting a little bit about, you know, ours is a 35 second clock, you know, about what time do you want to look at that two for one? So we talked about in that 45 to 55 second range, yep. you know, would be a good time to go a two for one. And then we talked about, you know, if, if a team say they score on us um, and there's 38 seconds left on the clock, let that ball bounce two or three times. Cause it's not like the NBA where the clock stops let that ball bounce two or three times, gets to that 34, 35 seconds on the clock before you inbound it, then they've lost their two for one. Um, You know, and just some of those strategies and things. And so that goes into it. And then, you know, he and I both have talked about the fact when you get to that 10 second mark, do you have an automatic set that you go into? Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things that we're getting into that the shot clock is kind of bringing in, you know, and I, I like the fact, not necessarily that, you know, those, those strategies are fun, don't get me wrong, but I like the fact that, you know, with about four or five minutes to go in the game, you can't have a team, say it's a six, eight point game, the other team can't pull the ball out and go, you know, yeah. four corners on you and it turns into a free throw shooting contest. You can still play good defense 
and work your way back in. And it just keeps that flow when you play basketball. So those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to and, and getting those things, you know, mixed in there because, you know, it'll be new form and it's something that you've got to adjust with your practice plan and you've got to practice it, um, you know, as far as stuff goes. And so I think I was, I don't know if I'd mentioned this earlier in the pod or when you and I were talking a little bit earlier, uh, we're allowed one practice before the season even begins with the shot clock to get some of those things in there. And so we're going to go on November 8th and uh, basically bring, you know, the varsity in for an hour, sophomores, 45 minutes, freshmen in 45 minutes and start to work through some of those things with them mm-hmm. before we get going that next week. Yep. Uh yeah, the uh, the shot clock is is a needed thing. We have it in Nebraska for the big schools this year. Uh, inevitably, it'll get down to us. But uh, you know, people didn't pay to watch a twenty six minute game or a twenty eight minute game. Uh, they paid to watch a thirty two minute game. And, and hey, I'll be the first one to admit it. Have I milked the last two, three, four minutes of games before? Absolutely, absolutely. But that was the rules that we had to play with. I didn't like it. Yes, didn't like it. Didn't want to do it. But I knew that gave us the best chance to win, and that's my job. Uh, yep. but I think the best thing for the game is to have that 35 second shot clock. So, uh, I just have one other thing, Tony, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're talking about X's and O's and, and we've talked a lot about X's and O's implementation, but also think about your, your cultural ideas, what you want to implement culturally on that calendar as well. When's a good time to fit in a, a service project like we've talked about before? Or when would be a, a good day to have a team building activity? Or when would be a good day to have uh, what we call surprise day, where we just surprise them with the day off and we go do something like uh, what you know, whatever. Or, uh, you know, last year we took our kids uh, down to Creighton when UConn came to town and we watched UConn and Creighton play and you know stuff like that so you can you know as you're planning out your X's and O's you can also find those spots in your calendar for your cultural implementations as well uh, so that you're, you're you're keeping track of that culture as you go through your season and making sure that you're hitting those intangibles that you're again uh, something's going to go wrong at some point and inevitably you have to prepare for it and and that's not just with your basketball schemes but also you the culture of your program as well and making sure that you're emphasizing that throughout the year as well because we know how quickly you can get just swallowed up worried about game film practice plans drills all that other stuff keep in mind yeah. that cultural stuff as well yeah um one of the big things that we like to do over the Christmas break is our Christmas party. And a part of our Christmas party that we do with them is positive notes where you have to write something positive on a you know poster board sized paper about your teammate. And I never knew how much those meant until all of a sudden I'm starting to go to some graduation uh, open houses and there they are, you know, whether it's two, three, four of them, depending upon whatever, uh, you know, they, they were with us and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very important. And then the other thing I like to make sure I've got, you know, visits scheduled in, like we've talked about before, mm-hmm. where there's a lack of communication, negativity will fill it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to make sure we get some of those things scheduled. And the other thing they like to do with them from time to time. And I don't want to do it every day because I think it loses some of its effectiveness. If you do that is a lot of times at the end of practice, you know, especially if we're the five to seven o'clock practice because nobody's coming in after us is we have what we call put ups. Mm-hmm. And so just those specific feedback by their peers uh, at the end of practice, so, yep. you know, it's, it's a quick five, five, eight minutes, but you don't know how much goodwill that may carry for, for a while for your team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We call them bright spots, and and we do it really quick for every day for like a minute or two. Uh, we do we do the same thing at the end of practice there. So, 
Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available for you, to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. All right, Tony, it is trivia time. You have taken the lead. It, what is Is it six to four? I believe so. I okay. believe so. All right. But who's keeping track? Uh, well, I was keeping track for a while, but now <laughs> I've lost track of things. So, all right, Tony, I, uh, it's your turn. Um, yes, you are right. Cause last week I had the question about, uh, the NBA championships. So Tony, let me All know right. what you got here. It's, I, I gotta, I gotta start to bring this back closer to even here. So. All right, here we go. Okay. I'm going to give you a choice. It's going to be college basketball. I'll give you a choice. If you would want to do a college women's basketball question, or if you would like to do a college men's basketball question, college men's basketball. All right. You ready? I'm ready. We had a big upset in exhibition play today. The ACC Louisville Cardinals lost to what Division II school by 10 points in an exhibition game today? Ah, oh, Tony, I didn't get a chance to check the uh, the current events. Uh, <laughs> dang. Uh, do you want me to flip to the women's basketball let's, one? Let's try the women's basketball one. What was All the right. answer, by the way? Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Lenore Rhine. Um, oh, I think I'm good with the Rhine, but it's the first one's L E N O I R. That would be that would yeah. be the way I would pronounce it too. So okay, all right. So we will do college women. Okay. I know you're an Iowa State fan, but we'll do this side of the state with Iowa. Okay, all righty. Um, the dynamic duo for the Hawks is Caitlin Clark. And Monica Sonato, I believe yep. I said her last name correctly. Yep. They led the NCAA women's basketball in points per game, assists per game, and field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. How many other duos in NCAA women's history <laughs> led their team, or I'm sorry, led the NCAA in those three categories? So, so like Caitlin Clark led the country in in scoring and Sonano and, assist, yep. and, and assist, then Sonano was the rebounding field goal and percentage. field goal percentage. Okay, all right. Yep. So I want to know how many other duos that play on the same team okay. in NCAA women's history mm-hmm. have led their team have led have led the NCAA in those three categories. So you just want a number? I don't have to name I do. who it was. Yeah, don't have to name them. Just just a number. I'm gonna go with. Two. Incorrect. Get two more guesses. Higher or lower? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. It's going to give it away. All right, you ready? I'm ready. If I answer that, you will 100% get it right. One? Is also incorrect. Zero. Is correct. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Hey, I'm not afraid of a little welfare. I am not afraid of a handout. I'll take it. I'll take it. 
Nobody else has ever done that. Okay. All right. Did you no, want to know what the, the one I had was? Ever to do that? It's okay. also the only ones ever in uh, NCAA men. There have been no men that have done it, the, and, and the WNBA. Wow. There have been only been I want to say three in the NBA that mm-hmm. have done it. Wow. Um. Yeah. It was Bob McAdoo. Okay. And Ernie. Gregorio or something like Ernie that. Ernie DiGregorio or whatever. Yeah, out of Providence. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wilt Chamberlain and Guy Rogers. Okay. And then the other one after that was Paul Arizon and Andy Phillips. Oh, Andy Phillips. Yeah. I have no <laughs> idea who Andy Phillips is. <laughs> that would be yeah, that, 60s and 70s. It has, yeah. In other words, it hasn't been done in a really, really long time. It hasn't been time. done in a really long time. You want to hear the one I had for you? Yeah, go okay. ahead. All right. Because uh, I would assume when it's my turn next week, I would assume that this is no longer the case. Now, if it was, I would laugh hysterically. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers have started out 0-5 and are perhaps a monster dumpster fire going right now. How many times have the Lakers, since they've moved to Los Angeles in 1960, how many other times have they started out 0-5? Man, I would not have got that. I thought you were going to say... How many times has LeBron in his career started out 0 and 5? And the only the answer there is one when he was a rookie. Yep. But I would I don't even know. I would say two. Incorrect. Higher or lower? <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to go to zero of it. <laughs> incorrect. Huh? Did it have to be one? It is one other time. Yeah, I think it's 2014-15. Uh, and okay. they finished 21 and 61. So, um, all right. Hey, Tony, sporting event you're looking forward to this week? You know, the, the World Series is starting to draw me in a little bit. Uh, the other yeah. night I flipped it on, and the Astros were up 5-zip, and the Phillies came back and won it in extras. Uh, their catcher had a home run in the 10th to, to lead them to victory. And then uh, the other night, uh, Astros needed to win. Uh, got a yep. big win, so it's 1-1, and then they're going to play – Tomorrow night on on Halloween in Philadelphia, I'm sure that's going to be a madhouse. There, there will uh, not I'm be looking... one singular adult beverage drank before that game or during that game. <laughs> it's it's going to be back to the era of prohibition, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing, I'm a big college football fan. I love Alabama. They're at LSU on Saturday night, so that'll be a fun one. Yep. And but I would even say this: I think the bigger game. Tennessee at Georgia that's on Saturday, so I will I will block out some time to watch those. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Uh, World Series, you know, definitely on top of it here. Uh, my uh, my brother in law Jim uh, lives out in Philadelphia, diehard Phillies fan. Actually, went to Game Four of the NLCS with my nephew Tater, and mm-hmm. uh, so uh, they took a picture. They were up in the right field uh, upper deck uh, for Game Four of the NLCS, so they got to see that. And uh, I know he's excited. He, you know, he's Sixers, Eagles, and you know, Phil, all, all that stuff. He's he's just diehard. Went to Temple, all that other stuff. So, wow. uh, so brother-in-law, uh, my cousin Steve lives down in Houston. His wife's a big Astros fan. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm you know, I got family in both directions here. But I, I'm 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 excited to watch a little World Series action and and see what happens here. So. Should be good. All right. Should be yeah, good. Should so. be really good. All right, Tony. Anything else to add uh, here this evening? Uh, no. I you know it's just one of those things when when you take a look at that practice thing. You know, like we were talking about. If I had to give two big takeaways from that, number one, I, I think that thing where you plan backwards. You know, whether you're planning backwards like you did, 
you know, February, working your way back, or whether you want to go plan backwards from the first game. But I, I, I cannot emphasize how important I think that is. And then the other thing uh, along those same lines with, with stuff early on is just to make sure, you know, that you have a plan in place um, mm-hmm. as you work through there. I, I know people, hey, you know, I like to kind of go by feel. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are times that you need to do that. Like, yep. hey, this doesn't seem like it's going well. We're going to extend this and maybe cross something out. Um, but I would, I would have some, I would just really encourage people to have some things in place as they go in. Um, you know, if you're, if you're those things we talked about before, if you are planning to, or, you know, if you're failing to plan, you're basically planning to fail. Yep. Yep. I agree, Tony. And, and like I said, your mind and my mind work very similarly for better or worse. That's why we get along so well, but I I would rather tweak than reinvent. And if we're reinventing, it means that we've tweaked in every which way that we know how, and it still ain't working. And, and I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, And and there's so many things that you need to think about and you're going to miss stuff along the way. And, but while you're not frazzled, it's the best time, you know, you plan for pressure situations before you get into pressure situations. And starting here in the next few weeks, we're all going to be under pressure situations trying to do this and trying to do that to get our teams ready to go. And so pr- plan for the pressure situations now so that you're not planning while you're under pressure. You're tweaking while you're under pressure and you've got a pretty good idea of what you want to do. Yeah, if you can take some of that stress off your plate when when things, you know, that, that you don't plan for kind of hit the fan you're going to be able to deal with them with the rational side of your brain rather than the emotional side of your brain. And I think that that's going to be a much better situation for you. You bet. You bet. Well, great discussion once again here on the coaching staff, planning your season, planning your practices, taking a look at things here. Uh, great job again by Mr. Tony D. Viss. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter if you have any questions. You can direct message Tony. You can direct message myself. You can email me at penandnapkin at gmail.com. Hope you really enjoyed our discussion here tonight. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.